Good afternoon. Welcome to the I Am First podcast, sponsored by the First Gen Plus Center here at George Mason University. Um, in this podcast, we're going to be exploring the narratives of first-generation faculty, staff, and students here at Mason. My name is Nakia Waters, and I am the Assistant Director for First-Generation Student Support within the First Gen Plus Center. Um, Musafa, would you like to introduce yourself? Hello, hello. My name is Ed Musafasan, and I'm the uh, Graduate Assistant at First Gen Plus Center. Well, we have two folks here today. Do you want to introduce yourselves, uh, name, pronouns, what you do here? Sure. My name is Dr. Joyce Ann Rogers. I am the Director of Contemporary Student Services here at Mason, and I use she, her pronouns. My name is Ide Adalati Shams. I'm the ESL Specialist Faculty at the Writing Center, and I use she, her pronouns. Thank y'all so much for um, joining us today. We have a few questions. We're going to have a conversation today about your experiences as first-gen students. Um, And we're just going to start. Cool? Excellent. So the first question is, uh, why did you choose your alma mater? Um, I'll go first. I chose my undergraduate institution because it had a great reputation and was small and was near where I grew up. So it was close to home. And I also had a, a a friend who was older who I really respected who went there. So that was a, a really kind of easy choice. I early applied, like handed in my application when I went to visit to get the app fee waiver um, and early applied there. And then for my graduate institution, they chose me first. I got a job and that's why I went there. Nice. Yeah, and for me, I um, chose my first, my undergraduate um, institution through a national entrance exam because I went to school in Iran, uh, where I'm from, and uh, there was a national exam for like private schools and another national exam for um, public schools, and um, it's a complicated process, and you get into a school and um, you get to go there. And then I finished my undergrad, and um, I was kind of a top student in my cohort, and I um, got selected to go to the master's program in the same school. And that's how I finished my graduate studies in Iran, and then I moved to the U.S. um, to join my husband. And I chose my Ph.D. school because of its reputation, and also I applied to multiple schools, but this was the one that I really enjoyed the – the program um, applied linguistics and technology that I was interested in and also had a good um, faculty there that I wanted to work with and ha- had specialties in my area of studies. So, cool. yeah. Cool. So it sounds like some of your experiences are based off of like prior knowledge, which is like really important for first generation students. Um, that's how we make our decisions. And sometimes we're not able to make those decisions because we don't have someone to look to. Um what does being first gen mean to you? Like, what does that identity mean to you when you hear that? You want to go first this time? Sure. Um, being a first gen is actually a new identity for me. I didn't know that it is something that I am <laughs> until I moved to the U.S. Um, I said that in the first episode, too. Right. Yeah. It's yeah. not a thing that we talk about in other exactly. countries like that. Exactly. Right. Yeah. It's not like something um, that stands out. Um, your parents either have gone to school or not, and it's not a big part of your identity. Um, but I, now that I know about it and I think about it more like consciously, I realized that um, it meant a lot to my experience as a college student because my, my mother was not able to um, help me move forward in my studies because she didn't have a similar experience before it. Um, 
I joke um, still about when she didn't know my major really well, and she she used to tell people that she studies English, although my major was like <laughs> translation, and then my uh, master's was in um, teaching English, and then now I I did my applied linguistics degree, and she still thinks I study English. <laughs> so um, that's part of what it means now to me. I, I I know that I could have got better guidance if I had a parent or somebody older than me that um, had this experience. And actually, I had my sister who's a lot older than me and had gone to college, but um, still it was a different experience for her because she was, she's almost like a generation older than I am, uh, 17 years older, Mm -hmm. but um, I was glad to have her. Yeah, Yeah. you kind of immediately look for those connections and those networks Mm -hmm. and like any little piece of information. Right. I loved having my friend there because I could shoot him an email and be like, hey, Austin, um, what is this? How do I do this? Like, what is happening? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was really great. Um, but yeah, for me, being first gen, it kind of has like two sides of the coin for me. One is kind of being the embodiment of the dreams of my family. And, but the other side of that is also reflecting on that now where I am and that experience as an undergraduate and even the whole way through it also means grit and creativity and fortitude and battle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's really difficult um, because it's something that you're proud of. But then sometimes you like had challenges. And um, especially when I was in college, uh, like you said, I didn't have that language either. I graduated from college in 2007. Um, and so when I was in school, first generation to me, my best friend, um, she was Nigerian. And so first generation to me meant the first person that's just in this country. Mm-hmm. And that's how we used it. Yeah. Um, but now it has like a whole different um, meaning to me, especially given um, what I do today. Um, so how did being first gen impact your college experience? Um, you can talk about socially, emotionally. So for me, going to college, I felt prepared for the classroom. I That wasn't a question for me. I was good. But it was kind of navigating the rest of it, the navigating higher ed, what's often referred to as the hidden curriculum. Mm -hmm. Um, And what we kind of talked about um, in our previous question, that part was um, was an adventure. That's how I'll encapsulate that. That's a nice way to say it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. We're going to reposition that and reframe that a little. It was an adventure. (laughs) Um, But looking back, there definitely were a lot of barriers that I navigated and navigated those with naivety but also with the help of the student affairs folks around me. And um, and my friend I mentioned was there for a year, so that was really helpful too. And But I also don't know that I would have been as successful as a new student if I hadn't been part of a living learning community that had just started at my institution. And the extra connections that came through that and the structure that it provided was really impactful for me. Um, and impactful in a way, so you you talked about the experience, but also like professionally and emotionally. If we go back to that professionally, mm-hmm. being a first gen and my experience changed my path and right. has become, has come to define my path really. Um, I like to tell people that student affairs professional or like higher ed administrator is not on the kindergarten chart next to firefighter, police <laughs> officer, <laughs> chef, not on the kindergarten chart yeah. at all. <laughs> Not there. Um, 
the closest thing really is teacher. And that's what I said I wanted to be for a really long time. And that morphed into in, into some years I thought I was going to be a lawyer. And that's how I went into my undergrad. But then those student affairs professionals that were so helpful to me. Um, and, and I was learning so much outside of the classroom was an aha moment for me as a first gen student. And being like, wait, we need I need to talk to you all about this. How did you get here? What did you do? Wait, there are graduate programs. Hold on. Um, and that really changed my trajectory. And, um, you know, spoiler alert, I'm not a lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> and so I kind of changed, changed that and started looking for graduate programs in student affairs. Once I figured out that that was a real job, guys, this is awesome. Um so it, it it impacted me that way professionally. But what I will add to that is the thing about being first gen and working in higher ed is that you never stop being first gen. Right. So I am the first in my family to go to college and earn a bachelor's degree. I'm also the first to work in higher ed. I'm the first to earn a master's degree. I'm the first to be a professor. I'm the first to earn a doctorate. Um, so it wasn't just every degree, but every job was a new unknown for me. Um, and and back to kind of what you were talking about at the beginning, it's also a part of my life where my family doesn't have a frame of reference right. at all. And so, you know, like your mom saying, oh, she, she studies English, she works in that. Um, I've been working in higher education for over half my life at this point. Um, and the only kind of job or position that I've had that my family kind of gets to any extent <laughs> is the professor part mm -hmm. um, because I understand teaching. But even that's not 100 percent because trying to explain like what an associate adjunct professor, like what that is and how that all happens. And <laughs> it's not like, no, what I, what that looks like for me is not what you're seeing in the movies. Like you know watching the chair on netflix does not tell you what my job is <laughs> yeah i totally relate to that as well um and my job i i am a faculty here but i don't teach classes so it's it's already mm -hmm. difficult to explain to even like um educated people <laughs> what i do um let alone my family and my my mom my mom uh especially so i've i've gave up gave up i gave up <laughs> at some point yeah um but um, I would, I was thinking as you were talking about your experiences in different levels of uh, graduate studies or undergraduate studies, and I realized that I have like complicated um, identities throughout mm -hmm. because um, moving to another country and using a different language than your um, first language also adds to the complications of being a first gen, and um, I think what helped me survive as an undergrad in my home country where I was studying in my first language and had my community that I had um, built, I guess, over like 20 years was the social community that I had around me. Like a lot of the students that were in the same class with me were also first gen. Although, again, we didn't know that this is um, an identity and it impacts our um, life professionally and emotionally and um, socially. But we were together in it. So um even if we didn't have parents who would tell us what to do or help us understand processes, um, we were groups of students who would figure things out together, and that was very helpful. Like, we, I never felt alone in it. Um, but 
moving to the States for my PhD was a lot more complicated. Um, I had my husband to help me figure out what the processes looks like in a U.S. education system. Um, but again, emotionally, I was alone. And um, professionally, I had my community after a while. Like I didn't have a community that helped me with the professional development in the first few years of my PhD. And those were the most difficult years. I was about yes. to quit so many times. Yes, <laughs> yes, I feel that, yes. Yeah. Um, I remember the first time I went to, actually the first time, the first day of my PhD was um, orientation for, uh, for my TA-ship. And it was very intense, much more intense than I thought. And I came home and I looked at the homework for tomorrow, for the day after, because it was very intensive, um, a one-week training for my TA-ship. And I looked at the homework and it was like, read these 150 pages plus like five more things. <laughs> oh and I was like, this is wrong. Like, I, it, there must be a mistake. It, it can't, can't be, be right. Yeah, it can like, be due tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, it can't be due tomorrow. I probably can read like 10 pages yeah. at 7 p.m. after a long day. But it's not going to be possible. And um, I started crying. And I was like, I did not know this is this is the this is very usual, right? Mm -hmm. um, it's like the reading load and the workload was so much less in my um, home country that I didn't expect it. And I went to went to the class to teach before I went to the class to be a student in the U.S. So that was a very um, difficult situation for me to even like accept that <laughs> I have to do this much work and I have to teach and um, and learn at the same time. Mm -hmm. And I had to teach something that I was not familiar with at all. Mm -hmm. um, and and I associate that with the with the system, with the education system and the fact that um, graduate students have to teach to staff the classes that are <laughs> that are there mm -hmm. in the um, in the school. And um, I still have problems with that. And I think it's um, it becomes unfair to many students because of their um, different experiences and different, um, I guess, levels of preparedness. Um, but I guess over the over that semester and the semester after where I had the support of my other colleagues who were also TAs, um, but maybe native speakers of English maybe had um, experiences with it in the U.S. education system, or maybe not. We kind of, like, developed this um, friendship that helped us get through those first few semesters of teaching and studying. And um, after a few years was when I learned about these, um, like, extra services, like Office of um, learning offices that support students learning. And um, I still am not like completely familiar with everything that's out there because, again, that was not what I was used to um, in my home country. So it takes a lot. It takes a lot of uh, time and energy and, mm -hmm. um, and effort. And um, talk about grit and fortitude. You're amazing. <laughs> I, I don't... I, I don't know that I would have gotten through all of that. Yeah. That, yeah. It, it is a lot. Like for, I, I'm an international graduate student too. So when you were saying all that, I was like, yep, I know what that is. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but also, um, did you, when you were talking about your like, um, you know, um, first year of PhD, mm -hmm. did you see yourself identifying more with like international students or domestic students or was that uh, like the first gen identity was like you like became aware of that in your first year and then you were like okay this is my crew <laughs> mm, 
That's an interesting question. I don't know if I thought about being a first gen at that time, but I thought about a lot of other identities that I had and I was aware of at that time, which was like being international, being um, uh, away from my family, so which means it, which is part of being inter- international most of the time, yeah. and also um, being part of a cohort of students who come from different levels of experience and, and preparedness. Um, but again, what was helpful for me was to be able to like um, place myself within the uh, cohort that I was in and kind of look at the strengths and weaknesses that each of us brought in and uh, be able to like um, make up for the weaknesses that I had um, through friendships with other people and kind of help them also build strengths in things that they didn't they didn't feel as um, comfortable with. And I guess um, being among a student cohort of international students and native speakers um, was was helpful because um, we knew that we were not alone. Like I was not the only international student yeah. in my cohort that was very helpful, but also I had um, domestic friends who were able to help me build a lot of the um, confidence that I needed to build yeah. during those first years. Yeah. It's such an incredibly important point that you made about knowing that you're not alone and finding that that space and that belonging. But it's it's also going back to like that grit and that fortitude and and um, and even kind of battling forward in making sure that you build your support network and your success network and you know, finding your own village Mm -hmm. through that. Um, Because again, like as first gen, you're not falling back on your family and being like, Hey, how does this all work? Um, So as you're moving up and through, I was incredibly blessed and fortunate that going into graduate school, I was a full-time professional and a part-time grad student. So I was coming into a housing and residence life established system where the expectation was as an assistant hall director that you were going into grad school. You had a semester where you could not once mm-hmm. you started, but then you were getting a graduate degree, whether it was in student affairs or something else. So I had all of these resources and it was, it was amazing. And again, like one of, one of the only reasons to, to like, that I got through it. Right. But, um, but having that, that connection there and finding your village and oftentimes that comes through the discomfort and the, mm-hmm. you know, leveraging that grace and kindness to yourself as well as mm-hmm. your colleagues and, um, and your professors and your classmates and the random person sitting at the other side of the table when you're in tears and mm-hmm. <laughs> whatever, whatever that space is and, and kind of working through that discomfort and, and recognizing those people with whom you connect regardless of kind of how you come across them because some of the best kind of connections I think that I made on campus and connections from undergrad the whole way through um, through my doctoral program that I still have today and that I still call on or randomly text or ask questions to or for like mentoring or, or even beyond um, were not necessarily directly in my path. They were the, I just happened upon. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's the other part, I think for first-gen students, talking about not knowing exactly where your resources are. When you get connected into that and then you're just like, 
tell it all to me. Like, who's around? Where can I go? Where can I be? Which is, I think, really important. And kind of back to your, Nikia, back to your question about the impact on your professional career. Mm-hmm. Like, that's part of why I'm here working in contemporary student services. Right. Oh, yeah. It's it's those students who don't, like, universities weren't built for them. Mm-hmm. They don't fit that traditional mold. I get that. And it is hard out here. And then you add, you know, first gen on that. You add a, you add international student on that. Mm-hmm. And the layers of, of facing barriers of mm-hmm. all different kinds. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's exactly um, my reason for having this job right now and loving it. Because um, after those first few semesters of teaching and... Um, me realizing that I don't want to be a full-time teacher ever, at least in something that I'm not a, um, a an expert of, um, made me realize that I want to help others um, in this similar kind of journey. And um, the part of my job that I was enjoying the most when I was teaching was um, having conferences with students. So I was like, I love helping individual students. I'm not um, confident uh, as a teacher in my class with like so many students, but with one-on-one um, interfaces with students, I'm like enjoying my time even. So um, I looked for other jobs on campus and I uh, became a consultant at the Writing Center. And that's exactly when I learned that a Writing Center is something that exists on campus to help yeah. people with their written communication skills. And I continued being a consultant for a few years and moved on to become a graduate consultant at a center we had at Iowa State University. Um, and I helped with speaking and oral communication at the at the same time as well. And most of the students that I got to work with were, were multi- multilingual students mm-hmm. um, like myself. And I've had this like privilege of being able to speak to them from the viewpoint of a uh, of somebody who's f- from a similar background. Like mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm a na- non-native speaker myself too. Um, you can do this. I've been there. I understand your challenges, mm-hmm. and um, I understand the problems that come with being an international student, being a first-gen student, mm-hmm. and being a non-native speaker of English. Right. Yeah, I think that's huge in, yeah. in that you, I think you always come back to, um, like, when you're in a place of that learning and, and, and gaining that knowledge and that, you know, knowledge is power kind of space, you, you feel like it's your job to share it. So mm-hmm. you're reaching back, you're reaching across, you're reaching up, you're reaching out to help folks along and I think about, you know, I want to help everyone. All the good things that I found, I want to make sure that everybody has. Mm-hmm. And all of the bad things that I experienced, I want to do whatever I can to have them not experience them. Right. And I think that's really common, not in just first gen, but any identity in that. Yeah. You, know, you want to help that along. And, and I will throw that back to Nakia and Mustafa and say, how often are you hearing something like that from the first gen folks that you're interviewing? Are you hearing that a lot where they're like, so let me tell (laughs) you. Actually, that's um, something I kind of touched on the the first uh, podcast. Like it influenced what I do today. So I work directly with first gen students because I was a first gen student and I I know how it felt. Um, And all those challenges. Yeah, I would just add to that. Like there is a idea of like the service that goes with like our identity and we want to serve that. But there is another question that Gen Z asks a lot. Like where is the money in that? (laughs) (laughs) Like higher education is not a place where you make a lot of money. So how do you kind of balance that you are still giving back? Because where we come from in our identities, it's like 
a lot of people, as you said, like helped us get here and we right. want to like pay it forward. But then you're also like thinking of like, I spend all this money and effort into this degree, how I'm going to like, you know, the return on investment kind of thing, um, do that. And you're right. Like we, there are things that, you know, like we all bring a different, like unique narrative to this mm -hmm. um, conversation, but also there's like commonalities that makes us, you know, part of that first gen identity, the struggle and, you know, the feeling of like being alone and then finding our crew. And then you're like, okay, now I think I, I got it. And then kind of continuing with that. Um, I have a question. Mm -hmm. um, do you see any advantage of being a first gen? <laughs> because we talked a lot about like the challenges, which right. is true. Um, how can we like capitalize on this identity and feel um, that we are not like dealt bad cards <laughs> right <laughs> that the worst hand in poker that's what you got make it work um I, I talk a little bit about challenge and then come into mm -hmm. advantage yep. in talking about challenges and you're right we did talk a lot about that but i would also say that there's um and, and part of what makes me want to say this is because I'm sitting next to ling a linguistics person <laughs> is that higher ed has its own lexicon. Right. Mm -hmm. And so yeah. regardless of what language you speak, when mm -hmm. you come into higher ed, there is its own lexicon. Like, you know, how many people heard Berserker before they started listening to Hamilton lyrics? <laughs> like, <laughs> Like, I know Burser because it rhymes with Aaron Burser. <laughs> like, that's why you know who that person is on campus, right? Um, but it's also I, one of the challenges for me in, in the first gen and linked back to, like, you wanting to help people is how to set boundaries. Mm -hmm. And how to do that, what those boundaries mean, have definitely morphed and changed over my student career as journey as well as my professional career and journey. Um, but I will say one of the advantages in all of that is that there is beauty in the not knowing. And in, so you just do it. Mm -hmm. You just figure it out. And there's a lot that. of creativity that comes from that. There's mm -hmm. a lot of, well, I don't know, but I got to find yeah. somebody who does. You're forging <laughs> your own path. You're forging yeah. your own path. I'm like, I, there's a lot of like, Throwing out misconceptions and pre, you know, pre, you know, what you might think about people, places, whatever, because you have to ask the questions, and you kind of, you have to you know fight for understanding, and you have to work through that discomfort. And so, there's so much, you know, beyond the grit and fortitude. There's so much connection. And how I do things and how I think about things. Even now with my team, I think about a meeting I had this morning and how, you know, I like, well, what about this? And how could we connect those? And what about that person? I don't, we'll ask. Let's get it figured out. How can we best benefit our students? Um, I think that still comes from levels of not knowing that I have. Um, and that translates the whole way through. Like, I'm new to Mason, I started in August. And so there's a lot of Mason that I don't know. Mm -hmm. So like, all right, let's get it figured out. Like, right. like you already had that, you yeah. know, built yeah. in being first and we are used to asking. We are used mm -hmm. to figuring it out. So yeah. things don't like phase us as easy as that might, you know, do right. other people. I love right. that. Mm -hmm. Thanks for saying that. I was yeah. not aware of this uh, <laughs> strength in me. And I think it's because of uh, being a first gen in in 
being a first in many other ways as well. Uh, it, it helps us be um, open to asking mm-hmm. um, to be able to survive. Mm-hmm. And um, I never thought that was the reason. So thanks yeah. for saying that. Oh, absolutely. And I, I would also argue that it's it may start as so you can survive, but it becomes part of your thriving. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, I would also say that another advantage that I have talked have thought about is um, that I maybe I was the first that learned systematically how to analytically think, how to um, kind of not accept whatever I hear, but challenge the ideas and the um, beliefs that are imposed on us mm-hmm. somehow and kind of like raise awareness in my family when I speak to them in conversations, be, be, be able to be the one that says, how about this other viewpoint? Why don't we, why don't we think about the reasoning behind this um, statement that you just heard and accepted? Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess that is um, an advantage um, that I was able to bring to my family and to um, the community that I was a part of, but um, didn't go to higher ed. Um, yeah, I think uh, that's really important. I'm really glad you said that because that's not something that I thought of. And, but as you were talking, I had these flashbacks of, oh, when I worked in Res Life, we totally had programs about, okay, it's Thanksgiving break. You're going back home. It's, it's winter break. You're going back home. How do you navigate that? And I don't think I've ever reflected on how I navigated that as a student. I've reflected on how I've navigated that as a professional, which like, you know, undergrad, undergrad, I found myself a lot. So like (laughs) doing that now and as a professional, you know, I have no, no, no issues with, with that, but thinking and trying to reflect on how I did that as an undergraduate in a, you know a small in a rural like where I am from is not a city it's not even a town it's classified as a village oh wow it is it is small um it is not not very diverse um and so the college experience was just you know busting open the horizons on the, on that um and so going back in in that, like, I have, I'm, I'm coming from this free market of ideas and all of these things, and I'm coming back into this, um, this space that was my, my, my space for how many ever years of my life with mm-hmm. all of these people mm-hmm. who yep. haven't seen the exponential growth mm-hmm. of me and my mind and my opinions and, and all of that. Like, what does that look like? Like when you're looking at people and be like, "Mm -mm, cite your source. (laughs) They're like, because I said so. (laughs) Do you ever, sorry. Go ahead. ahead. Do you ever find yourself saying, hey, I have a PhD. (laughs) Listen to me, mom. (laughs) Not yet. Uh, Not not directly. I haven't gotten my PhD yet. And I say, I'm about to get my PhD. So listen to me. (laughs) So that title helps. Exactly. I know a few things. Yeah. Okay, like I can help. It's it's interesting you mentioned that even as like you being a domestic student, like you know, U.S. citizen and all those things. Mm-hmm. Even you feel it that way, and you know, being international has another layer because we are not just speaking a different language. Like there are times when English words slip up when I'm talking to people mm-hmm. who don't speak English, and I'm like, 
I knew this word in my language at some point in time, but I don't know how to best explain it. Look it up. <laughs> yeah. And then also like ideas, like, you know, you, you live in a different culture and for domestic students, you live in a different like college environment and then you grow and groom yourself into a different being. And as you said, like when you go out for a break or when you move back to your country, you are a different person. You are trying to connect with the place that was so familiar to you. And now it's like, do I really like which place is mine? I am here. I feel alone. I go to college. I feel alone. <laughs> like yeah. there is a lot of like, you know, identity like juggle. And like, right. how do you like what person I am in which place um, goes along with that a lot of times. Yeah. So back to I challenges. Yeah. Back, to, back to the challenges. <laughs> back to growth and back to figuring yeah. it out. You got to be creative. And... But but we do. We get good, yeah. good at it after mm-hmm. after yeah. some time. So when wherever circle we are in, we like fit in easily. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think there has to be. Yeah such an incredible self-awareness mm-hmm. and situational awareness that yep. comes with that. Um, and even more so, the more layers you add to that. And I love that you brought up the language part of that because um, my my two best friends from undergrad, also first-gen students, um, and my I was not the f- first of my friends to get my doctorate. I have a friend who is a clinical psychologist and she's um, bilingual. And all of her training was in English but she's offering services in both languages. And when your language of learning is not in the language that you're in, then again, talking about those, those microcosm Mm -hmm. lexicons, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Like, I know how to explain this in English, but I don't know how to explain this in whatever other language. And then it's, uh, do we have words for that? Did I learn words for that? How do I explain this big concept in the, I don't, and yeah. the reference points aren't always the same and yeah. and then it's a whole nother level of of struggle and getting creative and figuring it out yeah right. that's i that's why i let my mother say she studies english yes <laughs> <laughs> it's just easier that way yeah, right. yeah. Like, yeah. I, I have an uncle who is um very interested in what i do all the time he asks me like he asked me specifically what did you do for your dissertation and i'm finding it so hard to explain to him that I like developed a corpus of language by these speakers and I'm doing like intonation annotations. And those words are even difficult in English, right? let alone like translated into Farsi and let alone to somebody who has no idea about like Mm -hmm. what it means to do research. (laughs) So I totally get that. Yeah. So we talked about, you know, challenges and um, things that we went through as first-gen students. So what would your advice be um, to first-gen students now? Um, and what what would your advice be to, A, get through college, <laughs> and B, professional advice? I would say the first thing is find your comu- community. Okay. Um, and that could mean... For you, I also would add, like, your advice for international students. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. So find your community applies to everybody. Um, for international students, a lot of the times that means find other international students who are not necessarily from your own background, because that would be limiting in so many ways, but also from um, from domestic students and international students from other countries. And to, to be able to understand that your challenges, the problems you're facing are not yours alone and they're, they're not related to you be, being an international student necessarily. A lot of the challenges students might face is um, they are related to just being a student or being a first-gen student. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so finding people who have similar but also different characteristics as you and identities as you uh, would be my first recommendation. And I think mm-hmm. it's very, very important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The listeners cannot hear our heads rattling so hard. Right. Shaking <laughs> our heads, yes. Um, I foolheartedly agree. I think the two things that I would say is build your support and success networks. And that includes finding your people, finding your village. Mm-hmm. Um, because like it takes a village that kind of quote or whatever is not just about kids mm-hmm. um, in finding your village and, and collecting and staying connected with positive people who support you um, and will, and this kind of spans both the education and the professional, but also those people who will speak your name in spaces of opportunity is incredibly important um, and who are willing and able to mentor you and sponsor you um, is so is so valuable and you know it's and mentorship is not there are so many different kinds of mentorship it can be in a moment it can be in a you know in a season it can be for a longer period of time in a job in whatever Um, and Finding those folks is really hard. So as you building your support and you're building your network and being willing to share and have conversations like this and conversations with whoever, whoever is around, but it's, it's connecting with those folks and really being, being purposeful and being brazen. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I would also add, so I, I worked on building community but sometimes I still struggle with that asking for mm-hmm. help for the commu- mm-hmm. from yeah. the community. So it's like I know I have this mentor, but I'm like, I don't want to bother her. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm sure I can figure it out on my own. You know, mm-hmm. you have to. Sh- it's so hard because yeah. you like you don't want to be an obligation for anyone because you you, right. have, you have all these questions, right? So like I don't want to be an obligation for anyone, but I have questions. But I want to stand like stand in my full self mm-hmm. and and take up my space mm-hmm. and ask those questions and part of that is finding your people and finding your village that encourage you to do that right on on both sides yes absolutely like lean in take up the space in the room whatever you know whatever's floating around in in society <laughs> now that means that like right. whatever that is like do that um and and your support network and part of the reason why I say like surrounding yourself with positive people who who will who will help you know and stand in your worth is right. so hard um because you know i'm not 20 <laughs> i'm not 30 um and it's still a work in progress yeah. of how how you can do that and the more we talked about those layers of identity the more of those that you kind of layer on the, I think the harder it gets sometimes. Um, and then, you know, the world is what it is. And then you feel like you can't take up space. And even if you did, nobody would believe you. And, you know, all of these things come in, but um, it's, it's self work. It's, a, it's awareness and purposeful surrounding. And when you find those folks, don't let go. Right. Um, and when you find yourself with them, and being sharing that gratitude for them and being in communion with them um and 
and asking for the accountability mm-hmm. because that's the other part of it. You know, I am an adjunct instructor too, and talking about how do you ask those questions? I work with with contemporary students, uh, you know, here at Mason and other places too. I've done uh, I've done that, and one of the things that I always say is like I I will often be the observer like I'm the lurker in the side of the room unless I need to unless I put my brazen hat on and walk in and I'm like okay <laughs> like you know that Beyonce Sasha Fierce version like <laughs> my Sasha Fierce version on it's gonna be fine um but having that accountability in that but using using those opportunities that you have whether it's as a student through work assignments class assignments um to go out and do informational interviews, to connect, to go to a program, to, you know, grab the card off the table, send the email if you're if you're not comfortable, like walking and be like, hey, Nakia, I have questions. Remember that time we met at that place? <laughs> I shoot an email and it'll come back. But finding finding those spaces and those resources um, on campus, whether they're informal, like finding your village or whether they're formal, too thinking about here at Mason, yes, you have all of these resources, um, but also, you know, like I'm going to do a little, little self plug here for my contemporary (laughs) student folks. Um, We have peer mentors. We have contemporary student advisors that students can make appointments with from undergraduates, the whole way through PhD students, you can make uh, an appointment and we have, um, you know, one of my coordinators is a student parent. Um, we have folks that are transfer students. We have folks that are international students. We have all kinds of different majors. Me, who just um, graduated with my doctorate, so and having lived that life, so whoever you want to meet with, we've we've got folks to help in that peer mentoring and having that conversation and connecting you in, um, and that's a start to a kind of a structured space mm-hmm. where. We're there for you to ask questions. That's why we're here. Right. Come on in, stop by, say hey, ask a question, mm-hmm. um, and get connected in. Because a lot of times that's like, I mean, even now, like if I have an option to go some, you know, to place A or place B, and I know which door I'm supposed to go in in place B, I'll choose place B. Right. Like, you know, <laughs> you, you want to walk in and not feel silly. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. yeah. I would add that it is. It, sometimes it's even easier to go to the formal resources than find a community of mm-hmm. friends, um, especially for international students. Sometimes they don't have the right language or confidence to just walk up to somebody and not awkwardly talk to them and be, want to become friends. Sometimes they feel like it's really awkward to just do that. So I would say um, finding out about what resources are out there for you to get help in different ways is really important. Maybe it's the first step. Maybe you don't have any friends, but you can go to places that are that there are people there that work that have their job um, described as um, being help in different ways for you. So um, consider that as the first step, and then um, also use resources like the writing center where I work to um, maybe try to understand how to use language to get help or how to use language to build your community. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's the words that don't come out right. Sometimes it's not really like your character and personality. 
um, or not your different cultural and linguistic background. It might be just the, the choice of words for forming a question mm -hmm. that you need to become aware of. And it's, it's pretty easy. Consultants and um, uh, people who work in other offices would be able to tell you that. Mm -hmm. So being direct and open about it um, might also help. Yeah, I love that being able to. That's yeah, great advice. Yeah, to just come in and be like, I have questions around this, but I don't know how to ask them. I feel like the one something that comes to mind like immediately is something like financial aid, because <laughs> oh, there's yes. so like talk yep. about specific lexicons, y'all. Like, mm -hmm. yeah. Um, so I'm like, okay, if this is what you want to know, here's how you need to ask the question mm -hmm. to get to the information to get to the answer that you need. Yep. Because you know sometimes sometimes folks across campus will probe. And ask those questions to get to what what do you really mean? Um, and sometimes it's hard to do that. Mm -hmm. yep. This has been nice because I'm actually learning more about some resources on campus. <laughs> so I'm uh, glad that you two came in. Yeah, and I'm I'm glad we got a international. I talk a lot about like we mm -hmm. at Mason and in general like um, it, there are a lot of international students. We have a great diversity mm -hmm. on campus, but when it comes to like understanding and like providing support a lot of support is like people with the great heart and want to help but they are not international so it's hard for them to like sometimes like comprehend what that challenge look mm -hmm. like and um so i really appreciate your input on that because yeah. that is where you can like relate to and say you know what i went through it myself i know mm -hmm. it's a problem versus this seems like a problem yeah. um and surveys don't cast that all the time because right. again going back to the language like people who are native speakers they would ask a question thinking oh i've asked it but the person yeah. who is reading <laughs> is interpreting in some other way right. and they would answer it that way and that would like skew the data you know yeah. and then how do you interpret that so there's like a lot of layers to that but i'm glad um you guys came and yeah. this was very Thank very you so informative much for sharing all and i can't stop listening to you guys. That's why I'm not talking uh, a lot because those are real things, and uh, especially the emphasis on like network, and that also makes me think like we do talk about that, but like how do you start? Sometimes like starting is hard, and that is where you know you go to a formal resource first, and then build from there, and then also looking at your identities and similar cultures and people who could you know relate with you in one way or the other, and then. Um, another question maybe for some other time is how do you build a deeper connection? You know, like not oh, going yes. to just going to like a, a you know, a resource is mm -hmm. more transactional a lot of times. And then how do you make that relationship deep enough that the person would care mm -hmm. and check up and, you know, accountability part versus I gave you my like the information that you needed. You know, yeah. see you never. <laughs> I, I love that. I'm in. Put it on my calendar. We'll do a whole oh. conversation, all oh, of yes. us. That would be about great. Transactional to relational and Beautiful. what that looks like. And I'm somebody else from my staff, I'd love to add to that mix, but I'm, oh, I'm oh, totally yes, in for it. I would personally benefit from that. Yes. yes. So. We'll awesome. have a yeah. list of things for more podcasts. <laughs> yep. right? yeah. I have like linguistic diversity in mind and care, oh, providing beautiful, care. Beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. And I love, I, I love that you're being purposeful to and making sure and bringing in all those different identities and layers and because the intersectionality of all that is so like just vast. Mm -hmm. And for, for me, the, the learning comes in that too. And I've had so many really great conversations. I, I will say I happened upon so many really great conversations with colleagues, students, faculty, staff across Mason's um, just in the last you know few months I've been here. Um, 
about about what that looks like and it informs my allyship in that as well and and at the um airy conference one of the one of the panelists talked about liking um they don't like the word ally they like co-conspirator oh yes <laughs> and i'm like oh that's good and there are definitely I'm like yep yep there are times where co-conspirator is the better word mm-hmm. I agree. I've heard a, a, like my accomplice as yeah. well. Yeah, my, yeah, my accomplice in that. I love that. But I would love to be a co-conspirator in this. I'm in. Let's do it. Okay, sounds great. Thank you again. Thank y'all so much. This was a really great conversation. I want to be mindful of y'all time. I know where um, we can talk. That's something that we love to do at the First June Plus Center. Um, but you will come back. Um, well, we will talk about something else. Um, and so I just want to thank you all out there for listening um, to the I Am First podcast. And we will catch you on the next one.